be doing some topical items. And that's not my norm. Normally, I, I greatly prefer taking a single book of the Bible and just working our way verse by verse, section by section through that. Um, we are taking a little bit of a break from the Gospel of Mark right now, though, and we are going to dig into a couple of ideas or a couple of concepts as we start the new year that really kind of lay a foundation for what are we doing? Why do we do what we do? Next week, we're going to be dealing with the idea of communion and why do we observe the Lord's Supper? We're going to be talking, taking one weekend and looking at children's ministry. And why do we have a children's ministry? And what, what is that supposed to look like? What are we supposed to be doing? Um, we're going to be dealing with different ideas of that nature week by week. But this week, I want to start off with a very basic, very simple question. What is the church? And that, that is an open question. When I ask, what is the church? What comes to your mind? Okay, the house of God, the body of believers, do you, and, and maybe not intentionally, but do you normally think of a location, a building, or of a gathering, a group, a people? And, and that's understandable. In English, we often talk about, I'm going down to the church to meet with the church and have church. And that's three different things, right? I'm going to a location to meet with a group to do an activity, and yet, we refer to all of those as church. And so, when I ask that question, what is the church, I realize that it is a huge question with very far-ranging implications. And there are lots and lots of passages of Scripture that we could... What? The Bride of Christ? Okay. <laughs> exactly, yes. That is a, another one that we definitely need to remember and be aware of. There are lots of different passages that we could dig into, and I actually do encourage you to dig into to get a full understanding of what is the church. We don't have enough time for that, and we're not going to go to enough passages for that just this morning. So if you were, were showing up hoping that I would give the, the complete and definitive doctrine of the church, you need to start showing up on Wednesday nights. Because uh, actually, that's the next section that we're about to go into. And I handed out the, the information on that. If you want to either pre-study that or come Wednesday nights, the blue handouts are up there right by the sound booth. And we will be talking about that full doctrine and understanding of what is the church on Wednesday nights. For tonight, or this morning, I guess, I really only want to focus in on one passage in Ephesians chapter 4. And I want to focus on one aspect of the church. I mentioned there's a lot of things that the church does, but we're going to be looking at the one foundation of the church. We sang that song, uh, several songs about the foundation, and we're going to be looking at really the foundation. What is the most basic aspect of the church? What is it at its core? Why do we even have the church? What is it about? Now, I had Dennis read uh, Ephesians 4, 11 through 5, 2, which I realize is a pretty long passage. There's a lot going on in it. And so we're going to be digging through it, and we're going to take uh, different portions of it. Um, hopefully you have already read it, and then, like I said, he, he read it again for us. Um, make sure that you've got your Bibles ready, because we are going to move through that section fairly quickly, because there's a lot going on there. And we're really going to be focusing on, in on just one aspect of what it's talking about throughout it. But, 
as I mentioned, my preference is to go through an entire book of the Bible, little by little by little, week after week. And I'm not doing that with Ephesians. But we have to understand what's going on with the entire book. Because we're going to be jumping in really at the midpoint of this book. If you have studied the book of Ephesians before, you'll realize that it is a treasure trove of theology. There is tons going on here. It is such a wonderful um, letter that Paul has written to a local church, giving them information and helping them understand certain doctrines, certain truth, certain things that they are supposed to be aware of. It's been said of the book that its contents are so simple and so foundational that every believer, every new believer should study it and treasure it. But it's also so theologically deep. It has such theological concepts that are so profound that most mature Christians never fully plumb the depths of what's contained there. This book has tons in it. Unlike most of Paul's letters, there's not a major conflict or major issue that he has to be dealing with. So he's not getting after them for certain things. He is encouraging them, and he's teaching them, and he's training them through it. Generally speaking, it's divided into two halves. The first half really deals with a lot of doctrine and theology and information that they need to know, things that they need to be aware of, truths that they need to believe. The second half then really gets into the more practical application, or as I like to put it, the so what. That first half is really, really important. It lays the foundation. It gives them information of what is it to be a Christian, what is expected of Christians, things of that nature. But then the second half really deals with the practical result of that theology. Based on what we believe, how should we then live? So we're going to be jumping in to that second half where Paul is going to start off chapter 4 with one of my favorite words in the Bible, therefore. And, and you've probably heard me say it before, and I'll continue to use it. Whenever you see a therefore in Scripture, you ought to ask yourself the question, what is the therefore there for? So why is it there? What is he doing? Well, based on all of that theology that he's been talking about, based on all of these truths that you need to, to understand and be aware of and believe, I want you to do something. Therefore, I, the prisoner of the Lord, exhort you. He's encouraging, he's begging, he's challenging them. Walk worthy. Therefore, walk worthy of the calling with which you have been called. Paul expects that theology, that doctrine, to have a practical implication, that they're going to do something. That, that idea of walk, when you see it in Scripture, it's not just a mental awareness or have this concept or idea. It's put it into practice. This is how your life should be lived out. And so when it, when it refers to a walk, it's talking about the way that you live, your daily interactions, your daily life. It needs to be worthy of the calling with which you have been called. And so what's that going to look like? How is that going to be? Verse 2 of Ephesians chapter 4, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, being diligent to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. He says how they are supposed to live as a result of what they have 
studied as a result of what Paul has taught them in that doctrine section. And so he's going to go on and, and talk a little bit more about who Jesus is and that Jesus came and he gave gifts. He, he did certain things. Now, one thing to notice, even as Paul is dealing with the practical application, the so what side, he's still presenting theology. He's still presenting doctrine and deep theological truths. And, and I'm going to skip over that section of chapter 4. Um, it's going to talk about Jesus and the fact that Jesus descended, and there's, there's a lot going on there. Um, there's, there are doctoral dissertations just in those couple of verses because there's, there's deep theology throughout all of Ephesians. And so I would encourage you, go back. If you're a new believer, study it, read it. Come to understand it. If you're a mature believer, don't think that you've got it all figured out. Just because you've gone through it once or twice, there is so much going on in this. And Paul is just constantly teaching them more and more and more. Even as he gets to this practical side, he's continuing to teach them theology about who Jesus is. But we get down then to verse 11, and that's where, where we're going to pick it up. In verse 11, it says that Jesus gave certain people as the founders and the leadership and the instructors of the church. Now, again, I'm not going to dig too deeply into that section. Just be aware, recognize that God gave certain people, certain men, to be able to develop the church. You want more information on that? Again, we're going to be addressing that Wednesday evenings. You're more than welcome to join us for that study. Um, but for now, I'm really going to pick it up in verse 12. Why did Jesus give those people? Why did Jesus give those founders of the church and those teachers of the church and, and all of those people? What, what was the purpose? Okay, to build the body of Christ by equipping the saints. Verse 12, for the equipping of the saints for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ. I love it when your answers are just, you read the text to me. Because that's exactly what it is. It says why he did that. God gave us those people for a reason, for a purpose, namely for the equipping of the saints. Now, notice it doesn't say that God gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to go out and do all of the ministry themselves while the rest of the church sits in the pews. Now, I don't think that they even had pews at the beginning, so that's beside the point. But that's not what is going on. Instead, the reason that he gave those is to equip the saints. Now, obviously, the question that comes up is, what is a saint? Who is a saint? Who's supposed to be equipped? So, I ask you, what's a saint? Any believer. Any believer. The word itself just means holy ones. Those who are holy. Well, how does someone become holy? It's not by an organization declaring them to be holy. It's not by waiting until they're dead and then they do certain things after they're dead. That's beside the point. And then they get declared to be a saint. No, it means the holy ones. Who has been made holy? Those who have trusted in Christ. He has washed away their sins and they are now holy. So Christ gave these men so that they would equip the saints, which ultimately is equip all believers, so that they would prepare the believers so that they can then do the work of the service, 
namely the building up of the body of Christ. As I said, the saints simply is a word that means holy ones, and it refers to anyone who has put their faith in Jesus Christ. The saints then are to then do the work of service and build up the body. Well, what is the body of Christ? It says, for the building up of the body of Christ, what is that? That's the church. Plain and simple. So the, the idea here is that Jesus gave certain men so that they would equip the followers of Christ to do the work of building the church, of building and uh, doing the service, doing the work of the service and building up the body of Christ. Christ gave those certain men so that they equip the saints so that those who are equipped do the work of building the church. To what end? How long? That's verse 13. To what end? Until we all attain the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. So, until when? To what, to what result? What's the, the thing that they're building the church up to? Maturedness. Is that how you said it? Maturedness? Okay. To maturity. Until people are mature. Until they have become uh, grown up. Ultimately, until we become like Christ. That is the goal. That's what we are all to be aiming for. Till we become like Christ. Christ. That is the point. So in short, until we are all grown up. Well, how do we do that? Verses 14 through 16 really deal with that question of how, how do we then do that? First of all, by not being children. And, and he's using this picture, this idea of we ought to be grown-ups, we ought to be mature, we ought to be fully grown. In contrast, we're not to be like children. Have you ever watched kids as they, as they want, run around and they have the, ooh, shiny moments? Maybe, maybe some adults have that same way. Ooh, squirrel! You, you ever run into that? that? I mean, that's the picture that he's, that he's presenting here in, in 14 through 16. This idea of no longer being tossed here and there by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine. That's, that's the idea. That as a new doctrine, a new idea, a new concept comes up, that we aren't just... Oh, look, I'm going to follow this for a while. Oh, wait, no, I'm going to turn over here and follow, follow that. I'm going to do this. I'm... The idea is that we all become mature adults who aren't easily swayed back and forth by all of these different ideas and, and theories and doctrines that come up. Instead, we are to be mature. Um, some of those doctrines actually come about by the trickery of men, by craftiness in deceitful scheming. Sometimes there are doctrines that come up that are for the purpose of deceiving and drawing people away. We have to be very, very careful about those kinds of things. But whatever the doctrine is, whatever the idea is, we shouldn't become distracted by it and start following after this and start following after that. The idea here is that Jesus gave these men to establish the church so that the church is then equipped and ready to build itself up to that level of maturity so that we don't run after all of these different things, but instead, verse 15, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects, into him who is the head, that is Christ. Now, I really like that, that phrase, speaking the truth in love, because it presents 
two aspects of how we do that. Number one, speaking the truth. Meaning, you're not saying your ideas, your opinions, your information, anything of that nature. You're, you're speaking the word. You're telling them the truth. But it's also telling us how we do that. We do that in love. We, we have a, a running joke around here about the holy stick. That, you know, sometimes you've you got to just beat someone into shape, basically. And yet, that's not the idea that's being presented here. But that we, we build them up by speaking the truth in love for them. And, and really, part of that, we come across some very difficult conversations in which it's not pleasant, it's not fun. And we do have to break out that firmness and maybe even bring about that holy stick of whipping them into shape and letting them know, hey, thus says the word of God. But the reason that we do that, the reason that we're firm and hard and harsh on them is because we love them. We love them enough that we don't want somebody to wallow in where they have gotten to. Instead, we want to build them up, to draw them back, to help them grow in Christ and become who Christ wants them to be. Did you have a... Okay. Yeah, the, the, the Holy Stick is, is both. We, we love them and therefore we do bring that, that Holy Stick or that idea of sometimes it's a rebuke. Sometimes it can be harsh. Sometimes it can be very difficult. And those are not pleasant conversations to have. And yet, the reason is because we love them. And the goal is to build them up so that all of us become who Christ wants us to be. So what? I think I've got a, yeah, I've got the slide up there of so what? Each believer is called to be a part of the ministry, to grow up both individually and as a group to the maturity that Christ expects. That's not something that we do alone, by ourselves, individually. That's something that we need each other for, that we are expected to help one another with. Now, for those of you who are regulars and, and you get used to me using a so what at the end, we're not at the end, don't worry. We've got a lot more to go through. But this is a major so what that fits right in with what we're dealing with. And we need to, we need to recognize, we need to understand that every single believer is called on to be a part of the ministry. It's not just the guys that get up here and do the teaching that are doing the ministry. It's they are responsible for equipping you so that you can then do the work of the ministry. And what is the work of the ministry? Building up, equip, or uh, encouraging and helping others grow, helping others to become more mature like Christ. Well, how, how do we do that? What does that take? Go ahead. Okay. A little bit of sacrifice. Dedication. Patience. Service. Perseverance. Time. That's, that's a big one that I, I was really wanting to get to. Taking time with others. With other believers. See, if you think of church as just, I show up to the church, with the church, to do church on Sunday mornings, and that's all that it is, you're missing it. You're missing out. Maturity, growing up. Kids, if, if you've had kids, if you've raised kids, they don't just pick one couple hour block of time every week in which they learn and they grow. It's a constant, continuous thing. It's life. And so we, 
as the church, have that responsibility of spending life with one another, encouraging one another, building one another up, and helping them to then become more like Christ. Now, as we grow, we recognize that growth is not just in numbers. It's in knowledge, and it's in maturity. And this is then going to be displayed in the next section that we're about to get to. It's displayed in how we walk, in what we do as a result of. Again, verse 17, he starts off with this idea of, therefore, or based on the things that I've been telling you, based on this information, what difference should it make? First and foremost, he gives us a, a negative contrast. Don't walk like the Gentiles. Now, Notice in this one, Gentiles is used for non-believers, for outsiders. Um, he's not referring to a specific cultural or ethnic group, but he's, he's simply saying, don't walk like those who don't follow after Jesus. That's not how you ought to walk. That's not what you ought to be doing. It says specifically, um, therefore I say and testify in the Lord that you walk no longer just as the Gentiles also walk in the futility of their mind. Well, what is what is futility? Does anybody, did anybody happen to look that one up or, or have a quick, easy definition of what futility is? Meaninglessness? Chasing your tail? Good, good examples? All of those. Having no practical use. Devoid of the truth. Vain. Vanity. There's, a, there's an Old Testament book that has a bunch of vanity of vanities. Everything is vain. It doesn't have purpose. It doesn't have reason if you're just following the physical world. That's, that's what Ecclesiastes is really talking about. There is reason. There is value. There is something, but it's not found in the physical world, in the, in the normal things of life, in chasing after money or power or prestige or, 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 or. And that's really what Paul's addressing here as well. That's what the Gentiles were running after. That's what most unbelievers are chasing after, is things that are vain, things that are futile. The result is that they are excluded from the life of God, uh, being darkened in their mind, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the hardness of their heart. They've rejected God. And notice, it doesn't say that God rejects them, but that they have gone away from him. That they have ignored him. They are ignorant because they choose not to learn. They are uh, hardened because they have hardened their own hearts. They have not softened themselves. They put on a shell to give themselves over to a life of self-indulgence. Is really ultimately what happens. They have decided that it is more important for their self-indulgence than for the things of God. And we were actually in Sunday school talking a little bit about Romans chapter 1. And in Romans 1, God then turns them over to that very thing. God allows them, because of their own choices, because of their own decision to reject him, God turns them over to that. That's not how a Christian is expected to act or live. Um, in verse 20, it says, But you did not learn Christ in this way, if indeed you have heard him and have been taught in him, just as truth is in Jesus, that in reference to your former manner of life, you lay aside the old self, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lusts of deceit, 
and you've been and and that you be renewed in the spirit of your mind and put on the new self which in the likeness of God has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth notice christianity has a mental aspect it's not just this idea of blind faith we have learned we have been taught we have heard those are ideas that we aren't just following this idea ignorantly without learning, without understanding, but that we actually involve our mind in our religion. As a result, certain changes take place. As we know things, as we learn things, as we understand the doctrine that he was dealing with in the first half of the book, we, we get a mindset and a, an awareness and a learning and an understanding of those things, but then we put that into practice. And it starts off then by saying that we should lay aside or put off or get rid of the old self. That's verse 22. Laying aside the old self, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lust of deceit, and that you be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Just like we take off clothes. How many of you have changed clothes in the last 24 hours? Hopefully everybody, I expect, you, when, when the clothes get dirty, you take them off. And you, you get rid of them, generally to wash them, and you put on something else. That's the idea that's going on here. Now, we are expected to lay aside the old mindset, the old lifestyle, and even the old desires that we had that are associated with sin. <clears throat> We're to lay aside those things. Uh, that was our old conduct. That was the old man. And instead, we are to put on certain things. The, the next section is really going to go into that detail about what that change is supposed to look like. And it, it says that we are to, instead of lie, we're to speak the truth. Instead of having anger, we're to resolve that anger. Instead of stealing, we're to labor. Instead of a snappy response or lewd jokes or foul language, that, that word unwholesome that's used there, it's, it's really the idea of something that is putrid, of worthless, of, of foul, instead of those things, we should use words that are helpful to the building up of others. Now, that's a, that's a pretty tall order. Let's go back and, and take a look and read through those. Um, starting off in verse 25. Therefore, laying aside falsehood, speak the truth, each of you, with his neighbor. For we are members of one another. Be angry, and yet do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. Do not give the devil an opportunity. He who steals must steal no longer, but rather he must labor, performing with his own hands what is good, so that he will have something to share with one who has need. Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word as is good for building up what is needed, so that it will give grace to those who hear. That's a pretty tall order. That's a pretty significant change. If you were here on, on Christmas Eve, you remember I gave a few individuals a, a question. I asked them to talk about what difference has Jesus made to you in your life? And this is really the idea that many of them talked about, that they used to be angry, bitter, haters, all kinds of sin, but Jesus changed them. And is in the process of changing them. 
many of them recognize, you know, I'm not there yet. And that, that's true. It's a process. Because, as we already saw earlier in this chapter, we are to be growing up. Maturing is a long process. There are some full-grown adults that aren't really mature yet, and yet they are no longer children. They've definitely advanced from that point. And that's what, that's what God is really expecting of us here. Now, we look at this list, and I'm going to guess most of you are going to say, well, I'm not, a, I'm not a habitual liar. I don't tell lies, so you know that one doesn't necessarily apply to me. How many of you stretched the truth this week? Just, you don't have to raise your hand. I see a few people kind of, yeah. What, what about that idea of, of uh, stealing? You, you say, well, I'm, I'm not a thief. I didn't go rob a bank this week. But how many of you took something that didn't necessarily belong to you? One, one of the ones that stands out in my mind, because it's just one of those things that I notice, you ever go into like a bank or the post office or something and you borrow one of the pens out of the cup and you use the pen, and then where does the pen go? Intentional or unintentional? It ends up in your pocket. But I hate to break it to you, you just stole their pen. We, we think of these, and our minds automatically go to the big, major, horrible things. We, we, we even, let's talk about anger a little bit. You know, it's... it's the, the idea there is, is wrath and anger and, and hatred. And you're like, well, I don't hate anybody. I didn't go out and, and pick a fight with someone. I didn't beat anybody up. How many of you, you, again, you don't have to raise your hand, but think to yourself, how many of you were driving along on 97 and you started yelling at the guy that was going way too fast or way too slow, as the case might be? No one was around. Nobody heard it. But in your heart, in your mind, you were... Letting somebody know that they were not driving correctly. Was that anger with a purpose? Was that anger with value? Or was that anger with sin? See, we look at this list, and it's really, really easy to, to see the list and, and think to ourselves, well, I, I'm pretty good, I'm pretty decent. And yet, if we slow down, if we pause and we think about it, the reality is, we all fall short in these, in many of these, if not all of these. The idea here is that we put off the old self. And just like changing clothes, that's a daily process. That's a regular occurrence. Now, bear in mind, Jesus has already made us pure and clean. He has already given us new life in him. If you have trusted him. If you are a follower of Christ, if you are a Christian, you put your faith and trust in him, and he said, I will make you a new creation. I will wash you whiter than snow. I'm not, I'm not saying that any of that doesn't apply or isn't true. We're going to deal with that momentarily. But there is a tendency to still have to fight the old self, to still have to deal with the old self. And that is a constant, regular process of putting off and putting away that mindset that attitude, that process, that way of living, and instead putting on Christ, being like him, doing what he wants and what he expects. Yes, Jesus has already made us pure and clean, but he still expects us to develop in a regular, ongoing way. By doing so, we are growing into Christ's likeness, and we ensure, ensure that we don't grieve the Holy Spirit. And that's what that next verse 
is dealing with. Verse 30 says, Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. So what is it to grieve? Just in general, what is a, a grief? What is that idea? Okay, to disappoint, to cause sorrow. Exactly. That's the idea. We are not to grieve or do things that upset, annoy, sadden the Holy Spirit. Instead, God wants us to be mature individuals. Now, I think that this, this idea of grieving the Holy Spirit, though, we need to dig into a little bit more. In, in verse 30, it says, Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, which implies that we could do that. That as believers, because that's who Paul is talking to throughout all of this, as believers, we have the ability to grieve the Holy Spirit. Now, he talked about this idea of by whom you are sealed back in chapter 1, verse 13. And we didn't, we didn't read it. We haven't dug into that. But that is one of the, the theologies that Paul expresses in the first half of the, the book. This idea that the Holy Spirit is a seal, is a guarantee, it's a mark that God says, I own you, you are mine. Nobody can steal you, nobody can take you away, you are mine, and the Holy Spirit is given as that mark of ownership. Um, He's also, Paul is also hearkening back to some Old Testament ideas about grieving the Holy Spirit that refer to the Israelites as they wandered in the wilderness, they grieved the Holy Spirit. I'll give you two uh, references if you want to look them up. In Isaiah 63 verse 10, it talks about that idea that Israelites had grieved the Holy Spirit. Uh, I, that's Isaiah 63, verse 10. And then also Psalm 78. In Psalm 78, verse 40, it also talks about that idea of, of God, of the Holy Spirit, being grieved by people who wander away. And those are Israelites. Those are the chosen people of God. So Paul is referencing both something that he talked about a little bit earlier, back in chapter 1, as well as a concept that the Jews would have been familiar with from the Old Testament in Isaiah and in uh, Psalm 78. But most of all, I want you to notice, he doesn't say to not grieve the Holy Spirit to remove the seal that he has put on you. We sadden the Holy Spirit, we sadden God, when we walk away, when we do these things, when we don't put on the new man and, and instead uh, walk in the old flesh. But the fact is, he is not removed, and that's, indicative, that's indicating that we are still under the continued ownership of God. Paul had used that idea of sealing as God putting his stamp, saying, I, this is mine, these people are mine, and that's, that person is his until forever. And here... He's again reiterating that idea. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit. Don't make him sad by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. That seal does not get removed until the day of redemption, until eternity, future. But we can fracture the fellowship, as it were. The relationship doesn't get removed, but the fellowship gets broken, gets messed up. And that's what... Paul is encouraging us not to do, to not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by doing those things that were the old self, by failing to put off that stuff, that mindset, that um, desire, that lifestyle 
that was associated with sin, and instead we are to put on this newness of life, this change, this, this clean righteousness. Jesus has given us righteousness. We just have to put it on. We just have to do what he expects. Paul's going to give a few more examples in verses 31 and 32 that, that really deal with this same idea of get rid of certain things, put on certain things. It says that we need to get rid of bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, slander. Those are the things that, that we are to lay aside. It says in, uh, in verse 31, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Now, the, the phrasing of that is really interesting because we're to allow that to become what happens. That's, that's the idea of let it all be put away. Allow it and do it. Instead, we are, verse 32, to be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ has forgiven you. The end result, the, we are to be different. We, the body of Christ, the believer, the follower of Jesus, is to be different. Like I said, I, I had asked several uh, individuals to share a little bit about the difference that Jesus made in their lives. And um, that's really what we're talking about. That's what they were talking about. The, that idea of, I used to be an angry, bitter, mean person, but Jesus saved me. And changed me. And he's still working on me. I'm not there yet. But it's that process of putting off and putting on. And that's what every believer is called to do. And that is the process of growing into maturity. And that maturity is what every believer should be encouraging, not only in themselves, but also for others, based on what they have learned and what they have understood, based on what those individuals that Christ gave to the church for the equipping of the saints for that building up process. So all of this, Paul is, is creating this long, very straight through argument saying that we need to be different because of, because of, because of, because of, because of, leaning all the way back to the beginning then of Ephesians 4. Therefore, I exhort you, walk worthy of the calling with which you have been called. The result is that we should be different. So then, back to my original question. What is the church? What is Paul's expectation of the church? What should we be? The church is a gathering of people who have trusted Christ and are actively working to become mature in him. They do this by learning from those that God has given them and encouraging one another both in word and deed. What is the church? The church is the believers who are functioning together to grow individually and corporately into maturity. There's a lot of different ways that that happens. There's a lot of different things that we do. I'm not talking about the activities and the process. I'm talking about that foundational idea that ultimately we are to be like Jesus. We do this, we learn about God, we grow, etc. 
based on chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. Look at those if you would. It says, therefore, again, that idea, therefore, is there for us to look back and see everything that he's been teaching, everything he's been talking about. Based on that, be imitators of God as beloved children. If you think back and you remember, have you, did you ever have a, a little kid following you around and imitating and doing the same things that you were doing? That's, that's the picture that's being created here. And it, it's really a, a great example. Um, my, my dad loved to make pancakes Sunday mornings. And we used to live right next to them. And every Sunday, we would go down to their house and have Sunday breakfast before going to church. And we have a picture of one of my daughters standing on a stool, because she was, she was too short, standing on a stool, helping Grandpa make pancakes. Why am I talking about pancakes? That has nothing to do with anything. In the picture, one of the things that my dad does when he cooks is he takes a dish towel and he hangs it over his shoulder. And he always has it there. When he's cooking, when he's in the kitchen, there's a dish towel. What did my, was she three? Was she four? My, what did my little daughter have on her shoulder just like grandpa? Be imitators of God. He has told us who he is in his word. We are to imitate that. We are to do that kind of thing. As beloved children, verse 2, walk, again, that's the daily life. That's how we practice. That's what we do. Walk in love. Again, imitating, just as Christ also loved you. So we don't have to go out and come up with our own idea of, well, what does this look like? How do I do that? What's it going to be? No, read your Bible. Imitate God, imitate Jesus, just as Jesus loved you. Well, how did Jesus love you? How did he love me? He gave himself up for us. He died on my behalf. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. We are to imitate God. We are to be just like Jesus. If God loved us that much, we ought to love others also. If God was willing to give up something so valuable and so important for the benefit of others, can't we do the same? And, and there, are, there are many, many more. But be imitators of God as beloved children. Walk in love just as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. Now, he's, he's painting a picture here using that Old Testament sacrificial system and idea and recognizing that God's not interested in dead animals and burning of certain perfumic type things, the burning of incense. He's interested in our lives being offered to him as a sacrifice. And that is sweet and pleasant to him. That is the the fragrant aroma. So how do we do this? I asked the original question, what is the church? And I I had the slide that said the church is, and, and I read it, the church is a gathering of people who have trusted Christ and are actively working to become mature in him. They do this by learning from those God has given them 
and encouraging one another both in word and deed. We do this by imitating Christ and walking in love. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you that you do love us. Thank you that you loved us first, even while we were dead in our sins and trespasses, even when we were wicked, evil, vile. You loved us, and you sent your Son to pay the penalty for our sins so that we could come to know you. And Lord, you are the one who has washed us clean and pure, and we thank you for that. You have sealed us with the Holy Spirit, declaring that we are yours. But Lord, you also desire for us to grow up. We have a new life. We were born again if we've trusted you. But you don't want us to just stay babies. And that's why you gave us the church. That's why you gave us certain individuals. Those men who founded the church and who started the church and who taught and and Lord, you, you have given us that so that we grow up. So Lord, I pray that you would help us to desire to grow, to take the steps necessary to grow. But Lord, you didn't expect us to do that by ourselves. You gave us one another to encourage us, to exhort us, at times to rebuke us, to speak the truth to us in love. So, Lord, I pray that you would help each one of us here to grow in maturity, to learn of you because it's your word that reveals it to us, and then imitate you and what you've done. Lord, this is the first week of a new year. May we dedicate this year to becoming the church that you want us to be, to becoming the individuals that you command us to be that we each would do the work of the ministry of building one another. Lord, we know that that's a tall order. That's tough. That's, that's beyond our ability. But it's not beyond yours. So help us to rely on you, to lean on you. Help us to become imitators of you. We love you. We thank you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. If you can, please stand. And for her life 
he died.